John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Philippians chapter number 3, we're going to be looking at verses 7 and following. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and following. I know some of you have your Bibles on your PDA, on your smartphone, or uh, your iPhone, or your Droid, or your iPad. Uh, That's certainly okay. Take those devices out. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, or you may just have carried in a copy of God's Word. That's appropriate. Uh, The main thing is get to God's Word in whatever means you get to it. Philippians chapter 3. This is the very first Sunday that I have preached here at Victory Church. I know Brother John preached last Sunday for our New Year's Day service here while I was away and out of town. But if I could think about one word that really is, that seems like the Lord's really oppressed upon my spirit and my heart for the year 2012, it's the word opportunity. I've got it on the slide back here. Opportunity. Guys, every single one of us have an opportunity to start fresh, to start anew, and to obtain all the goals and the plans that God has laid out for us. But we've got to work at it every single day. We've got to be aware of the opportunities that come our way. And I think what we find in Philippians chapter 3, we find a tremendous philosophy of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you know, I'm sure you know, and I'll just reiterate, that the book of Philippians is one of the prison epistles written by the Apostle Paul. Now, you've got to understand This book, if there's a one-word description of the book, it would be the word joy. It is a joyful book. You won't find a lot of negativity in this book. You'll find a book that just is oozing with tremendous joy. Now, the irony of that is that Paul is in a damp, cold dungeon. He's incarcerated. He is in prison. Things did not go the way that he thought they would go. But God was using him nonetheless in the midst of horrible circumstances. Here we find the Apostle Paul with a tremendous philosophy of life there in prison. And it's all wrapped in the joy of the Lord. I love Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 4 which says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Guys, we must learn how to rejoice in the Lord and have a heart that's filled with praise and worship and joy regardless of the circumstances that we may find ourselves in in the year 2012. We can choose to have a joyful spirit. We can choose to be a positive person. We can choose to be someone that is a delight to be around or we can choose to be very pessimistic about everything. We can choose to look for the fault in everything. We can choose to look for everything that may be bad. And by the way, those are called pessimistic people. I personally do not like to surround myself with pessimistic people. Amen? I like to be around folks that are optimistic. I like to be around folks that see the glass half full and not necessarily half empty. You see, there are folks that, and I know you know them as well, but there are folks that whenever I open an email or I get a text or a phone call, I almost cringe because I know this person has something negative that they are going to share with me. 
Hello? You, you know it's true. Don't you cringe when you get that phone call from that individual or you see that email from that individual or you see that text message from that individual or you open up, maybe it's an old-fashioned letter from that individual and it's almost like, Lord, help me. Just, mm, hello? You know, right? Because we know that individual is what? They're a pessimist. I mean, they see the glass half empty. Things are just always bad. Well, I choose not to think that way. Hello? And I hope and pray in the year 2012 that you would take the time to seize the opportunities that God is going to bring your way. And I hope and pray you'll choose to make it a joyful year. And by the way, that's a choice. Regardless of your circumstances, I still believe it's a choice. Look, if you will, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 7. Let me read a few passages or a few verses of Scripture from this passage. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, But everything that was gained to me... I have considered it to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value, get this, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. Verse 10, my goal. Here Paul is sharing with us in horrible circumstances, in a cold, damp, dungeon, incarcerated, he still has some goals. And he says, my goal is, get this, this is powerful, to know him. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have taken hold of, I've also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, and I'm going to expound on this in just a moment, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. Let's pray. Father, as we look into the Word of God today, and as we start a brand new year, I just pray, God, that you would help us to ask for forgiveness of our past and our sins and our failures and shortcomings. Give us the strength to forgive ourselves once you have forgiven us. And help us to seize the opportunity to move forward in this brand new year, living out the plan that you have for us. God, I believe that 2012 is going to be a wonderful year in the life of Victory Church. And God, I'm so thankful for the families that you are drawing To this fellowship. And God I know there are great things in store. For each family member. For each individual. For the life of our church. As long as we keep our faith. And our trust in you. Help us to. Adopt. The philosophy. Of the apostle Paul as he shares with us. In the entire book of Philippians. But especially in these verses. That I have read this morning. Father I pray you'd speak to hearts. I pray the prayer that Martin Luther prayed many, many years ago. 
how he prayed and he cried out to you and he said, Oh God, I pray that you'd anoint these lips of clay and help me to reach the ears of the people. And then how I'd stand totally dependent upon you to take the words that I'm going to say and pierce the heart of each one that's here. Lord, that's my prayer today. I'll do my best to reach their ears. But Lord, I'm standing totally dependent upon you, the Holy Spirit of God, to take the message about 12, 16 inches further and penetrate the heart and the soul and the being of each one. May the Word of God, used by the Holy Spirit of God, Transform us to be more like the Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a title for this message. The title would simply be Seize the Opportunity. For the year 2012, it's my desire for each and every one of us and for our church as a whole that we would take advantage of the opportunity that we have every single day and that we would seize the opportunities that the Lord lays before us. I read the story sometime back about a young airman. He was traveling with his commanding officer. And they got into a train, and they were traveling in this train to a destination. And the young airman was with his officer, and sitting directly across from them was a grandmother that was traveling with her granddaughter. Now, this granddaughter was very attractive. And it was, it was obvious that this young airman and the, the young granddaughter were attracted to each other. The commanding officer noticed it, and the grandmother noticed it. So as they're traveling in this train, the four of them are sitting together. They go into a tunnel. It gets complete black inside the train that they're traveling in. All of a sudden, in the quietness, in the still of the moment, there are two sounds that are heard. There's a... Boy, where's my microphone? Can you hear that? There was a smack of a kiss, and there was a... Slap of the face that was heard. As they're still in the tunnel, the grandmother thought to herself, I cannot believe he just kissed my granddaughter, but I am so glad that she gave him what he deserved. The commanding officer thought while they were in the tunnel, after hearing these two sounds, the kiss and the slap, he said, I don't blame the boy for kissing the girl, but it's a, it's a shame that she missed his face and hit mine. The young girl thought, boy, I'm sure glad he kissed him, but I wish that my grandmother had not slapped him. Now, you see, they all have three different thought processes that are taking place. But let me tell you what really took place. This young airman took the opportunity to seize the moment, to seize the opportunity that was laid before him. For you know what he did? There in the blackness of that train car going through that tunnel... He took the opportunity to kiss the girl and slap his commanding officer at the same time, and he got away with it. When he came out the other side of the tunnel, there was a huge smirk on his face. Guys, I hope and pray that when we get to the end of the year 2012, that we can have this tremendous smirk and smile on our face because we took advantage of the opportunities that God gave us every single day of the year 2012. Now, don't go, for you airmen that are in here, don't go slapping your commanding officer. That may get you into trouble. But unfortunately, it's a shame that many of us get so caught up 
in the details of daily living that we fail to take advantage of the opportunities that are there before us every single day that we live. You see, I understand. We all have deadlines. We all have commitments. We all have problems. We all have priorities. We all have distractions. We all have obstacles. But in the midst of all of that, guys, we must learn how to slow down, seize the moment, seize the opportunity, and take advantage of each and every opportunity that the Lord lays before us. I think we see the Apostle Paul and we see a little bit of his strategy taking place and some of his philosophy of life that I hope and pray that we can choose for that to be ours. I want to share with you three things this morning. I want to share with you three thoughts that will help us to seize the opportunities. I want to share with you three thoughts that will help us to seize the moment for living a more fulfilling life. I don't want you to look back at the end of 2012 with too many regrets. Now, it may be almost impossible to get to the end without some regret because we're all human. We're all going to come up a little bit short and we're not, you know, we're going to make some mistakes. But I hope and pray that that at the end of 2012, you can look back with a smile on your face and you can say, you know what? I seize the opportunities that the Lord has laid before me. So let me share with you these three things that I think are going to be very important. On the back of your worship folder, there's a place for you to take some notes, a few blanks for you to fill in. I want you to write some of these down and take them with you and start processing these things as you go into this brand new year. Number one, in order for us to fulfill, to live a more fulfilling life, to seize the opportunity, I think first and foremost, we must find our purpose. Every single one of us, we must find our purpose. You must find your purpose. Let me ask you a question. What is your primary purpose in life? I mean, why are you even here? Why are you taking up space and breathing God's air here in the year 2012? What is your primary purpose for being here? You see, if I'm going to seize the moment... And taking advantage of these opportunities, I must discover what my primary purpose in existing is. Guys, I know what mine is. I know what my primary calling in life is. I hope and pray that you have discovered yours. Because we must zero in on our primary purpose for existing. If I ask you the question, what is your purpose in life? Many of you may come back with a response like this. The husbands may say, well, I want to be a good husband. The wife would say, I want to be a good wife, or I want to be a good mother, or I want to be a good father, or I want to do better on my job, or I want to be a good teacher, or I want to be a good nurse, or a better mechanic, or a better salesperson, or or a better officer, or whatever it may be. But guys, may I share something with you? All of those things that I just mentioned are good. We ought to strive to be a better husband, men. Men, we should strive to be better dads. And same thing for the ladies. We should strive to be better wives and better mothers. All of that's good. But guys, do you know that that's not your primary purpose? That's your secondary purpose? We all have a primary purpose. But oftentimes, we spend most of our time and our resources and our finances and and everything in our life fulfilling and living out the secondary purposes in our life. I want you to discover your primary purpose. Let me give you an example. For the sake of an illustration, I've got this somewhat expensive Very pretty, shiny ink pen. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the primary purpose of this very expensive... By the way, it was a gift. I didn't go spend my money on it. Someone gave it to me. It's a very nice pen. Very heavy, very weighted, beautiful pen. Very expensive pen. 
But it was a gift to me. But what is the primary purpose of this ink pen? What is it? To write. In other words, when I get paid, I take my check to the bank. And on the back of my check, I've got to do what? I've got to sign it. So I pull out this very expensive, very beautiful to look at, very shiny ink pen, very heavy pen, and I pull it out to sign my check. But guess what? It's out of ink. There's no ink in this pen. So now I've got this extremely expensive, very beautiful, very shiny pen that is not fulfilling its primary purpose in life. You know what I'm going to resort to? I'm going to resort to this little 29-cent big pen that has some ink in it, and I'm going to sign my check. Because it's fulfilling its primary purpose. You know what this one usually now begins doing if I don't get a new cartridge and put in it? It's now going to live the rest of its life fulfilling secondary purposes. Such as, have you ever been in the office, guys, and, and you're on the phone, or maybe you're thinking, and you, what's some things we do with pens? You ever play the drums with an ink pen? You're sitting there and you're no, 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 and all of a sudden somebody has to tell you to stop or you realize you're doing that or yeah, if it's a, if it's the kind of you snap in and out, we'll 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 snap it in and out. You know, those are secondary purposes, right? You may tap somebody on the shoulder with it. You may point and give directions with it. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with this ink pen other than just write with it. I mean, I'm going to tell you something really gross that I've seen some guys do before. I've seen them take a very nice ink pen and stick it in their ear and clean out earwax. Have you seen that? You've seen that. We've all seen that. I've seen guys do that. I mean, that's so disgusting. No, I know. Make a note to self. I am not going to ask to borrow their ink pen. Right? But you know what that is? That's a secondary purpose. Listen, guys, God has more in store for you than just living out your secondary purpose in life. Should I strive to be a better father? Sure. Should I strive to be a better husband? Yes. Should I strive to do other things better? Yes. But listen, guys, that's my secondary purpose. What is my primary purpose? What was Paul's primary purpose? I want you to look in verse number 10. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10. Paul says this in verse number 10. My goal is to know Him. Who is Him? That's Christ Jesus. My primary purpose in life is to know Him and the power of His resurrection. You see, Paul's primary purpose in life was to have a better relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I asked the question, though. I remember the first time I really studied this passage of Scripture. I was in Bible college. I was bewildered. And when I was, we were studying through Philippians chapter 3, and Paul said, Oh, that I may know him. And my hand went up, and I asked Dr. Bill Day, which was our, our theology professor teaching New Testament survey, and we were going through some of these books, and, and I said, Dr. Day, I said, why is Paul writing that here? Didn't he already know Jesus? I mean, he already met Christ where? You tell me. You know the story. He met him where? On the, mode, on, the mode, on the road to Damascus, right? He already knew Jesus, correct? Come on, stay with me here. He already knew Him. But here we see the Apostle Paul now in prison years later after devoting and living his life for Christ. He says, all my desire in life, my goal in life is to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Guys, you know what Paul's primary purpose was? To know Christ. And to know Him more. And to know Him deeper. And have a closer relationship with Him. And to experience the power of His resurrection. 
Paul had a desire to have an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, guys, it wasn't enough for the Apostle Paul just to experience salvation. And there's so many church people that sit in churches Sunday after Sunday after Sunday where they just think if they pray a sinner's prayer, check a box on the card, get baptized, become a church member, that that's enough. God has so much more for you than just being a church member or just checking a box. Boy, our goal, our primary purpose in life is to know Him. It's to know Him greater. To know Him deeper. To know Him broader. And to experience His power. And by the way, be careful when you pray that prayer. That you want to experience the power of God. Because the only way to experience it is through suffering. And heartaches. And trials. Persecution, mockery, and the list goes on and on and on. But Paul said, oh, that's my primary purpose. That's my goal. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I'm reminded what Orson Martin said, and this is a quote from him. Listen to this. He says, there's no greater sight in the world than that of a person that is fired with a great purpose dominated by one unwavering aim. Are you fired with a great purpose? Are you dominated with one unwavering aim? Or are you like the seas, the waves in the sea, and the tosses the ship to and fro, and you're unstable in all of your ways, and you don't really have any idea where you're going in the year 2012? Well, my prayer is that you'll find your purpose. And I'm here to tell you that purpose is not found in a job, or a paycheck, or a career, for a military guys, with all due respect, it's not another stripe, which I am so thankful for you, and I'm so thankful for, I see our military men and women advance, and see, I go to their promotion ceremonies, I love going to those, because I see them excelling, I see God blessing them, but listen, life is more than another stripe on the sleeve, hello, come on guys, that was a weak amen, but it's more than a stripe on a sleeve, right? It's more than another career. It's, it's more than a, a position in career or, or climbing the corporate ladder. It's really all about knowing Him. Do you know Him? That's your primary purpose, is to know Him. Let me give you the second thing I think you must do. Not only one, find your purpose. But number two, I'm changing gears here, okay? Number one, find your purpose. Number two, get this, forget your past. Forget about your past. You look back and here we are at the, in the threshold of a brand new year. And by the way, I think today is what, uh, January the 8th? And by the way, in, in, in John Cannon's perfect world, January the 7th is the last day that you're able to turn your Christmas lights on. Take them down. <laughs> Hello? I got in that discussion last night with my family. We're riding around thinking, why in the world do people still have the Christmas? Christmas is over. Right? We're in a brand new year. Take them down. I know folks that never take them down. Don't you? I mean, you go there in the summertime. In July, there is the Christmas lights. Uh, that's just a pet peeve. I didn't mean to go there. I'm sorry. I digressed. Find your purpose, number one. Number two, forget your past. Forget your past. Now, I think there are two elements. By the way, look in verse number 13. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse number 13. The Apostle Paul says this in the latter part of that verse. He said, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. You see, the Apostle Paul knew how to forget some things. And I think there are two elements to forgetting the past that we need to adapt to our life going into the year 2012. Jot this down. These are very important. 
Two things we need to forget. Number one, we need to forget the bad things. I mean, forget the bad things. Listen, every single one of us has made some mistakes, right? Every single one of us, we look back over the year 2011 and and we sit there and we look maybe with a little bit of regret and we realize, man, I should have done better there. I dropped the ball in that area of my life. I messed up right there. Ask for forgiveness and forget about it. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the Apostle Paul was a perfect man in his past? We know he wasn't. We read about the man named Saul, which later became the Apostle Paul. And we know what Saul did. What? What did he do? He was a persecutor of the church. I mean, his entire life was devoted to stopping this thing called Christianity. I am going to stop these disciples of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that the first Christian martyr that is named in the New Testament was a young man by the name of Stephen. You know who those that were stoning him and killing him, you know where they laid their garments and their cloaks and their coats? They laid them at the feet of Saul which later became the Apostle Paul. Saul's motivation in life was to destroy and stop the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that always stayed in the back of Paul's mind? Sure it did. I think often he had to keep reminding himself that I am going to forget the past. Paul had to be tortured about his past. Now is the Apostle Paul. No doubt there's tremendous remorse in his life. But he had a choice. He said, I can either forget the past, I can choose not to dwell on my mistakes, which will ruin my life and eventually ruin my ministry, or I can choose to forget about it. I can choose to dwell on my mistakes, or I can choose to forget about it. And we see in Philippians chapter 3 that Paul chose to forget about what was behind. Guys, you're the same, you're the same way. I mean, we all have a choice to make. We can choose to dwell on all the mistakes that we've made in the past. And therefore, by dwelling on them, we can almost disqualify ourselves from any act of service that the Lord would have us do. Oh, I couldn't do that. You just don't understand where I came from. Oh, I, can't, I couldn't teach Sunday school. No, no, no. You just don't know where, where I've been. I, I, I can never become a deacon or, or I can never get really involved in the church or, or I can never get on the praise team or, or I never could do those things. Preacher, you just don't understand my past. Let me ask you one question. Have you asked the Lord to forgive you? And if you have, you need to forget about it. Right? Choose not to dwell on your mistakes. Every single one of us have made mistakes in the year 2011. Not one of us came through that year perfect. So don't stand around and point fingers at people that you have discovered and you'd be very judgmental that so-and-so made a mistake. Listen, we've all made mistakes. Right? Let's forget about it. Let's ask the Lord to forgive us and then let's forget about our past, forget about the bad, and let's move on. I'm reminded 83 years ago on New Year's Day, the year was 1929, there was a football game going on between Georgia Tech and the University of California. There was a man on the University of California's football team by the name of Roy Regals. Roy Regals, 83 years ago, was playing on the defense of the University of California. Georgia Tech fumbled the ball. Roy Regals picked up the ball. And he charged 65 yards, headed for a touchdown, when all of a sudden he was tackled by his own team. In the excitement of it all, picking up the fumble and running for the end zone, 
His own team member had to tackle him at the two-yard line because Roy was running in the wrong direction. California tried to get out of the end zone there, and they couldn't. They had to punt. They're back in the end zone. The punter's back there fixing the punt, and the punt is blocked. Georgia Tech, I mean, University of California falls on the ball, and it's a safety for Georgia Tech. The end of the second quarter came, and they all went into the locker room. Rory Regals went into the locker room and he sat in the corner. True story. He sat in the corner of the locker room and at that halftime, the coach at at University of California did not come in and give his typical halftime speech. Roy sat in the corner with his head in his hands. And he sat there weeping and crying and humiliated and very upset with himself because he had let the team down and he ran 65 yards in the wrong way. The coach comes in at the end of halftime And he says this. He says, guys, get up. He said, let's go back on the field. And the starting team's going back on the field. Let's go. The locker room cleared out. They all took off. They went back on the field. Except for Roy Regals. Roy sat there in the corner, still with his head in his hands. Because of the mistake that he made at the end of the first half. The coach went over to Roy and he said, Roy, what are you doing? It's time to get back out on the field. Halftime's over. Roy said, Coach, I can't go back on the field. I made a huge mistake. I've let my team down. I can't go back on the field. The coach told Roy, said, Roy, stand up. Roy stood up. He looked Roy right in the eyes. He said, Roy, get back in the game. The game is only half over. Get back in the game. Roy ran out of the locker room and got back in the game. Guys, I want to tell you the same thing. Many of you and some of you, and I know this because it's happened to me in the past, we make some mistakes and we allow the devil to beat us up, to tell us that we can now not get back in the game. We've messed up. We've made mistakes. We're of no use. I want to tell you, get back in the game. We've all made mistakes. Get back in the game. The game is only half over. The Lord still has a plan for you. The Lord still knows what's going to take place in 2012 for you, but you must get up and get back in the game. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and just tell them, get up and get in the game. Go ahead, do that right now. Say, get up and get in the game. Forget about the bad. Get up, get in the game. Forget about the bad. Get up and get in the game. Guys, listen, we've all made mistakes. None of us are perfect. We can't just sit in the locker room now and check out on the rest of life. God still has a plan for you. He still has a job for you. He still has a ministry for you. He has something He wants you to do. Listen, there's some great things that's going to be happening in the year 2012 for Victory Church. And it includes every single one of you. We don't have room in our ministry for people to sit in the locker room in a corner with their head bowed in their hands. We all must forget about the past. Ask the Lord to forgive us. Get up and get in the game. Amen? Woo, that's good stuff. Forget the bad. Oh, I've got to move on. I've got to move on. Get this. Not only must you forget the bad, get this one. Forget the good. What? Yeah, I want, I want you to forget the good. I want you to look what, what Paul did. Look in chapter 4. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 4 through 7. I want you to look what he says. He says, although I once also had had confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, now Paul is fixing to tell us all the good things that he has done. 
He's fixing to tell us all the wonderful qualifications that he had. Look what he says. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of the Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal and persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law. I'm blameless in all these things. Paul said, these are all the, here's all the good things, the good, if you will, the, the resume of me. There they are. And many of them are good things. Not all of them, but many of them are good things. But look what he says in verse number 7. But everything that was gained to me... I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. And guys, here's what I want to tell you. We've experienced, and I want to say this maybe collectively as a church family, more so than in your own individual life, but even in your individual life. I want you to forget the good. We started this church in March of 1999 in Mascuda, and we've had some good days. But guys, we can't live in the past. Matter of fact, there was an artist, a musician, that put out a, a top song years ago. The young man that sang the song, you may have heard of him, it's called Bruce Springsteen. You, you heard of him? You, you know one of his all-time favorite hits? It's called what? Glory Days? It's, it's about a young man that never could get past the glory days that he had in high school. He could not ever go on and live life because all he could do was think about the good old days when he was in high school. Matter of fact, one of the lyrics says something like this. It says that time slips away and leaves you with nothing but boring stories of the glory days. Guys, you realize this is a temptation that many church leaders, many pastors, many church members fall into of trying to think back of the good things in their life, maybe in the life of the church, and they zero in on one particular good point in the life of that church, and they spend the rest of their life trying to recreate that moment. Now, guys, you know what I'm talking about here. We do that in our personal lives. We do that in our church life. And I think what we need to do, yeah, go back and think about them and praise the Lord for the good days but then forget about them. We cannot afford to spend the next 15, 20, whatever it is, time that I'll be here pastoring this church. We can't afford to waste our future trying to recreate an event that happened back in the glory days of Victory Church. Hello? We don't live in the same era. We don't live in the same community anymore. Our church has moved. I mean, everything has changed. In our culture, in our environment, now I understand the Word of God doesn't change. I understand that. And you know me well enough, I preach to you the Word of God. It never changes. But there are some things that's got to change if we're going to be relevant in the 21st century. That's some of our methods, some of our thinking, some of the way we do things. Are you with me? So let's forget about some of the good. Did we have some glory days in the life of Victory Church? Yes, we do. I've shared with you a few weeks ago how I went back to our old church building in Mascuda and I was overwhelmed with emotion and I was literally crying as I walked through that empty building by myself and I was reliving some of the glory days of Victory Church. But I'm here to tell you today, it isn't over. Hello? I took my mother-in-law through the new building yesterday and we're walking through there and there was nobody there but some of the drywall guys were finishing some of the drywalls. And, and as we were walking through there, I'm thinking, I wonder what God's going to do in this building. I wonder what God's going to do over here in this corner. I stood before our stage and I was thinking, I wonder what God's going to do when we give an invitation here. 
I wonder who's going to come here and receive Christ. I wonder who's going to come here and their family's going to be revitalized and brought back together. I wonder who's going to come here and find encouragement. I wonder what's going to take place back in that children's church area. I wonder whose life's going to be impacted. You see, there's some good things ahead. We need to quit thinking everything's doom and gloom. Hello? We need to quit thinking, oh, we're in, no, we're, we're in good shape, church. Amen? Victory Church is alive. It's well. We're in good shape. I'm pleased with where we are. Do we got work? Yes, we got work to do. But we're going to march forward. We're going to forget about the bad. We're not going to try to relive the glory days. God has a plan for us for the year 2012. And I promise you, I am one of those Paul talked about that's on his face before God prayed. I spent time this morning with my prayer cloth in my, in my, on my face, in my office, getting a hold of God because I know that God has great things in store for us. So let's don't try to relive the past. Hello? We need to forget about some of those things. Oh, there's more I'd like to say, but I've got to move on. Number three, jot this one down. Not only must we find our purpose, not only must we forget the past, but thirdly, and I'll finish with this one, we must face the present. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse number 14, Paul says, I forget about what's behind me. And he said, I'm reaching forward. I'm straining towards what is ahead. In verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God's called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, guys, we've got to face the present. We've got to live in today. Live today. You see, sometimes it's real easy to live in the past. And it's real easy to dream away the future. But it's a little more challenging to live in the present. Would you agree? It's challenging to live in the now. It's easy to, to relive the past, isn't it? And it's easy to dream about the future. But more reality checks in. And there's no room for excuses when you start living in the present. I'm reminded in John chapter 11 about a story. And I don't have time to unpack this. It's a whole message in and of itself. Let me give you the brief outline. In John chapter 11, there's a family friend, or a friend, I should say, of Jesus that died. You remember his name? His name was Lazarus. And you remember how Mary and Martha, they called for Jesus to come while he was in the middle of his ministry and he delayed his coming. And when he got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. You remember that story? Do you remember what Martha said whenever she came to Jesus? Now, let me show you. Here's a picture of a lady that lived in the past and dreamed about the future that totally missed the present. I don't want you to be a Martha in this situation. She came to the Lord and she said something like this. Lord... If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if only you would have been here, he would not have died. She's living in the past. But then Jesus talks to her, and he talks to her about the future. And Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. You remember what Martha said? Well, I know he'll rise again. When? You know the story. In the resurrection. Yeah, I know. Now she's dreaming about the future. She said, Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus reminded her that he will rise again. She totally left the present, went straight to the future, and said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection in the future. Guys, do you realize standing before her was the Son of God? Do you realize standing before her physically was Jesus Christ himself? 
And she did not even take advantage of the opportunity that was right there before her. She totally missed the moment because she was living in the past and dreaming about the future. And there in her present situation and circumstances was Jesus. She missed it. Wow, how obvious. And we look at that today and we think, boy, that's so obvious. But we do the same thing. We relive the past. We dream about the future. And we sometimes don't have faith that God is able to move in our present. You see, Mary did not question that Jesus had power in the past. I mean, she had seen what he had done. And she knew if he had got here that he could have spoken and Lazarus would have been well. She didn't have any problem questioning his power in the past. Nor did she have any problem questioning his power in the future when the resurrection would take place. But you know what she had a problem with? She had a problem with the present. She just somehow did not believe that Jesus had the power in the present to meet her present day situations, dilemmas, and circumstances. And church, let me tell you something today. We've got to get to the point where we start believing that God can move in our present situation. Quit reliving the past. Quit dreaming about the future. Start living in the present. Realize that our God is the same. He's promised us He'd never leave us. He would never forsake us. He's promised us that all of His promises are yea in Christ Jesus. Amen. He is here. He is in the now. He is in the present. And we've got to learn to exercise that power today. Living in the present. Not reliving the past. I wonder, as every head is closed, or every head is bowed, every eye is closed, let me ask you a question. What are you going to do with year 2012? In order to seize the opportunities for the year 2012, church, you've got to find your purpose. What is your primary purpose in life? You've got to find your purpose. And then... You must forget your past. Guys, we all make mistakes. Ask the Lord to forgive you and move on. Forgive yourself. He'll forgive you. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Ask Him to forgive you and then forget it. Move on. Forgive yourself. And then face the present. The here, today. Did Jesus have power yesterday? Sure he did. Does he have power for the future? Oh, you better believe he does. But does he have power for your present situation? Sure he does. And oftentimes we just completely overlook that. He's able to move right now. I don't know what problems or trials or circumstances or where you are in your life right now. But I'm here to tell you this. God knows where you are. He knows exactly what's taking place in your life. He knows the situation that you find yourself in. He's promised you He would never, ever leave you. He's there. We just simply must learn how to exercise our faith in Him in the present. It's easy to dream about the past. It's easy to dream about the future. We've got to learn to live in the present. So for the year 2012, my prayer is that you'll find your purpose. Forget your past face the present. Father, we commit this time to you this morning. And I don't know the needs of every single individual that's here today, but Lord, you do. And God, my prayer is today that if there's one here that needs encouraging, that you have encouraged them. If there's one here that needs forgiveness, 
pray, dear God, that you've offered them and given them forgiveness when they call unto you. There's one here, God, that has relationship problems. I just pray you'd begin working in those. There's someone here that has emotional problems. I just pray, God, you'd you'd give them stability and peace that passes all understanding. There's somebody here today that has spiritual problems. My prayer is that they'd recommit, rededicate their life to you. Or if they've never done that, that today they would pray and receive you as their Lord and their Savior. Meet every need in this house today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.